this class, the title of this class is Starting Point. And what we are looking at is as we journey in our faith, wherever we are in our faith, at some point we have to have an adult starting point. And we just come to the conclusion that the adult starting point is who is Jesus and the resurrection. And remember, for the disciples, this was not a story that they heard. This was an historical event that they experienced. Just as if we experienced Friday, the Royals winning the American League series. If someone came to you and said, listen, you cannot say that. We want you to say that is not true. And you'd be like, it is what it is. Now, you can say because they won the series means that they're going to win the World Series. Well, you can't really say that, but... There is a difference between believing a story and seeing an historical event and say, look, I, this is what I saw. And so when they came to them and said, you cannot say that Jesus was raised from the dead, they were like, say what you want. I saw it. It's real. I was there. And our faith is based on their testimony of what they saw. I never saw Abraham Lincoln. I believe he exists because there were eyewitness testimonies. Does that make sense? So there is a difference. But it's not just I believe in Jesus' teaching, but I believe in the resurrection. And then we talked about Jesus minus the resurrection equals disappointment. There are a lot of people that believe in the teachings of Jesus, but they don't get the connection to the resurrection. And what happens is their life becomes a journey of faith of disappointments. Okay? And even Paul said, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, we're still under the curse and we're goners. Remember when he said that in Corinthians? And so it's not just believing in Jesus' teaching. It believes in what God is doing through Jesus and the resurrection. And then we looked at the resurrection is the cure minus the curse. That humanity is under a curse. And that God is trying to break that curse for us through Christ and the death, burial, and resurrection. Okay? And then the famous phrase, it's not my fault. The curse is not your fault, but it is your problem. Right? And so we looked at that and we talked about the curse. Physical death, the struggle of the sinful nature, the struggle of good and evil, suffering and hardship. The sense of judgment, and we can't see God. Okay? Anybody know someone that's struggling with this? All of us, right? We're all on the same playing field. And if you're a parent of a teenager that's now in their late 20s, and you look at them now and says, Welcome to the human race, right? I thought if I got married, I'd be happy, but now, I, you know. Welcome to the human race. You thought if I had everything I wanted... I'd be happy. If I got everything what I wanted, I'd be happy. But we are all under a curse. But we have an option. We can either follow the curse or just live under the sinful nature, or we can call out to God for help. And so we looked at how God, through the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, that death has been changed and kind destroyed. 
that because of the resurrection, death doesn't have the same meaning to us today as it did to them back then. Now it's a door going home. Now we're just passing through. And ultimately, death will be destroyed. Revelation chapter 22. And so there's hope. And you know, the thing that amazed the Romans back centuries ago was Christians were not afraid to die. Now, that doesn't mean you're a little bit scared or nervous, but there was a difference. They were like, these guys aren't afraid of death. How is that possible? Because for us, death has a new meaning because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then we talked about the sinful nature has been weakened and ultimately will be destroyed. We can now say no to sin. Not consistently, not 100% of the time, because we still struggle with good and evil. But now we can say no. And what you will feed will lead. Okay? But without the death, burial, and resurrection, man, this thing is, this thing is dogging me for life. But now I've turned myself over to Christ, and therefore He helps me manage this thing called good and evil. The sinful nature. And then last week we talked about suffering and hardship. That suffering and hardship is a result of the fall. And that now I understand that suffering and hardship is just part of the fallen world. God is sovereign over all suffering. Matter of fact, our Lord experienced my suffering. He suffered a lot more than I ever have. He knows what it's like. And when you're suffering... You just want to know somebody gets it. And God gets it. And God broke the curse of suffering. Somebody said, well, it's God's fault to begin with. And I said, well, wait a minute. Let's take God out of the picture. Just pretend God doesn't exist right now. Whose fault is it now for all the suffering? Ours. Each and every... Look at Job. This is I, I'm, I'm jumping here because in Job chapter 35, Job makes an uh, Elihu makes an interesting statement to Job, and I wanted to read it because it really points to this thing about the suffering. Job chapter 35 and verse one. Then Elihu said, "Do you think this is just? You said I will be cleared by God, yet you ask him, what profit is it to me?" And what do I gain by not sinning? I will like to reply to you and to your friends with you. He's basically saying, what profit do I get for not sinning? Here I try to be a good person and I'm struggling. Verse 5. Look up at the heavens and see. Gaze at the clouds so high above you. If you sin, how does that affect him? If your sins are many, what does that do to him and who's to him? God. He's saying, basically, when you do something bad, really, what does that do to God? And the answer is what? Nothing. When you do a good deed, what does that really do for Him? The answer is? Nothing. He says, if you are righteous, what do you give to Him? Or what does He receive from your hands? Your wickedness affects only a man like yourself, and your righteousness only the son's of man. He's basically saying, look, sin separates us from God, but that's not God's problem, it's mine. God is still involved with me. I live and move and have my being in Him. 
The problem is sin, the curse, sin separates me from him because I don't want to be with him or I'm distanced from him or I'm just not interested in him or I'm afraid of him. And it's the sin that separates. And through the resurrection, God, Jesus is breaking that curse for you and me. Does that make sense? And so now suffering, I know, is temporary. It's not permanent. And I know when I'm suffering, it's not like God's going like, I love you, I hate you. I love you, I hate you. I love you, I hate you. It's not that way at all. We suffer because we live in a broken world. And so because of Christ and the resurrection, now he is preparing a place. Now I can endure the suffering here. And he's preparing a place where there's no more suffering. Where everyone in heaven is going to be nice. A place where no one's going to lie. No one's going to cheat. No one's going to steal. No one's going to commit adultery. No one's going to st- take from one another. It doesn't belong. And so everyone's just going to be nice. And you're like, holy cow, I can't wait. <laughs> right? I mean, isn't that kind of, you know, what, what, what we're striving for? That's what God has created for us through Christ because Jesus now in the resurrected form in heaven is no longer affected by suffering. He broke the curse for us. Any thoughts or comments before we begin to the next one? Yes. (coughs) Elihu, which God never said he was wrong. He said his Job's three friends were wrong, but he was not one of the three friends. That's true. Uh, secondly, if you accept what he said, then that means God doesn't care. No. No, he said it does not affect him. He says what we do, what we do to each other does not personally affect him. As a matter of fact, that's why he's such a good judge. He's a good judge because... You can't bribe him by your bad or your good. He's not affected by that like a human judge is affected by that. He does care because he so loved the world that he sent his son. He's the one that generally cares. And he said he cared even when I was his enemy in my own mind. Right? I acted like God is my enemy because I want to do what I want to do and he just doesn't want me to have fun. Ever heard that before? Right? My point is, sin is my problem, not God's. Sin distorts my view. God wants me to have a relationship with me, but because of sin, because of the curse, I don't want to have one with Him. Through Christ and the resurrection, He's come to break that curse. And just as He shared in my curse, I now in the resurrected Christ get to share in in Jesus' sonship. And it's like, wow. See, I was raised Catholic. Alright? And have you ever heard of Catholic guilt? You're breaking God's heart. Oh, you know, you're tearing Him apart. He's, you know when it's thunder and lightning up, that's God crying because you lied to me. Man, I was, it was like, holy cow. Right? And it's even true today. I had my own children come to me and said, you know, if you didn't take me to church, I wouldn't feel guilty about sin. <laughs> yeah, I feel guilty about it anyway because it's a part of the curse. All right. Good, good question. Anyone else? So the next thing, 
Does somebody have a question? So the next thing is what? Judgment, right? Judgment Day. Turn, if you would, to John, the book of John, chapter 12. The book of John, chapter 12. And I'm going to read, I'm going to begin reading in verse 37. We're going to read through it. Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill what the word of Isaiah the, of the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe because of Isaiah says, says elsewhere. He has blinded the eyes and, and deadened their heart so that they could neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. I said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Then Jesus cried out, When a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but but in the one who sent me. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I do not come to judge the world but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. For I did not speak of my own accord, but of the Father who sent me, commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that this command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Jesus describes judgment as a light coming into the darkness. And I thought, wow, that's the first time judgment's looked at as light. And is light negative or positive? (coughs) Positive, right? He's saying light is coming in to a very dark place into the world. And I started thinking, wow, so judgment really is a good thing. Because what would life be like if there was no, not ever going to be a judgment day? There you go. And I thought, because I lived in California for a while, and in California the attitude was, and it's, it's prevailing, don't talk about judgment day because that's a negative thing. And I thought, wow, what would life be like if we didn't have a judgment day? We would be in total what? Darkness. How would you like to go to court, go before a judge, you have a complaint against somebody, and you look up and there's, no, there's nobody there? What happens to our society? What will people start doing? Whatever they want. You can't tell me lying is wrong, because there's no what? There's no judge. It's a free-for-all, Right? And so Jesus is saying, we need a judgment day. 
a day in which God will make everything right. Not only as an individual, I need, you know, I get in these discussions all the time. Well, why is this right and why is this wrong? And finally, I say, well, if you have a question, go ask God. He made the rules. I didn't. Right? He made the rules. Yes. Kind of triggered the thought when you're talking about guilt and, and stuff like that. And now that you're talking about life and judgment, it just makes me think of our society today. Um, two things. One is, you know, the examples like same-sex marriage. The other thing is like millennials that don't want to go to church because they say that it's too judgmental. So now, have at it. <laughs> their definition of judgmental is, you guys look down on me. And that is wrong, right? And we're going to get to that in a moment. But the reality is, judgment is just saying, God is going to create a day in which he's going to make everything right. As a matter of fact, as a society, if someone wants to take vengeance, the only way to stop them is to say, God is going to take care of it at the judgment day. Otherwise, go take vengeance, right? Take vengeance into your own hands. Judgment Day does not lead to more violence. It leads to less violence. Right? In that regard. Judgment. In that regard. And so, on the one hand, what we're saying is, God is going to make everything right on that day. All the wrongs. All the wrongs you have experienced, God is going to make right. And my point is, on the one hand, we, I need a Judgment Day. Has anyone ever been wronged? Yeah. I mean, wronged. We need a judgment day. A day in which... And I know some people have said, well, I'm fine. It doesn't matter to me. But the reality is, for those of us, most of us have not been as wronged as other people have been wronged. I have never been abused growing up. I know a lot of people that have. I know a lot of people that have been wronged a lot more than me. And my point being is, there are some people like, well, you should just forgive and you don't need a judgment day and everybody should just be forgiven. No, there's a day. I need a day that God is going to make everything right. Especially for those of us who have really, really, really been wronged. Yes. say that, yes. That's a good question. That leads almost to another question. So why does God permit suffering to continue? Why doesn't he do judgment immediately? Right? Why doesn't God do judgment immediately? To give them an opportunity to what? To repent. Ezekiel 33. God says, I do not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. I wish they would turn and repent. And sometimes the thing that caused them to repent is to see the damage they've done and said, I will never, ever do that again. Yeah, but God, I want them to suffer. And believe me, I've made my mistakes and I still suffer. Okay? They're working it out. God is patient because He wants all of us 
to repent. Part of me that I don't want them to repent, I just want them to suffer. Okay? That's why God says, I'm the judge because I'm not effective whether they do good or bad. I want to help them, but if they don't repent, they will suffer the ultimate consequence of the curse, which is mean God says, I'm going to break it. And if you're on the side of the curse, you're going to get broken too. Okay? My first point simply is this. We need a judgment day. A day in which God will make everything right. Because without it, I'm in darkness. I need Him and I look forward to that, God, thank you for making everything right. I don't want anyone to... I just want everything to be made right in that regard. Does that make sense? But here's the problem, which is, I need a judgment day, but I can't handle a judgment day. <laughs> right? You will find in Christianity, things are very simple and yet complicated at the same time. You ever notice that? If somebody says, oh, here's the simple answer. Life is not simple. Oh, it's really complicated. No, it's really simple. It's the same, at the same time, right? God is drawing everybody back through the death, burial, and resurrection. It's pretty simple. Well, it's kind of complicated, but it's simple. But it's complicated. Together. So you get my point? It's both. I need a judgment day. I can't handle the judgment day. So if we want judgment for someone else because they're wrong, then are we not asking for the same judgment on ourselves? That's exactly right. And that's, that's, it is a tough, that's what I'm saying. Right. Judge not that you be not judged. That's exactly right. But at the same time, we're dealing with the complicated the fact that it's complicated for us. I need a judgment day. I cannot handle a judgment day. Notice what God is going to use to judge people. Okay? Jesus says, I did not come to judge, which is true. He came not to be the judge the first time, but to be the Savior. He said, the very words I spoke will judge them in the last day. So God is going to use two things to judge all of humanity. He's going to look not at your actions, but at your motives. Right, your heart. Is it easy or hard to know the motives of the heart? It's hard for us, yeah. i give you a perfect example. I came home and I went, my son's 20. I said, hey son... You know, go get the oil change in your car. You haven't changed in a long time. You really need to change it. And we got into this discussion, you need to teach me how to change it. Well, here's 20 bucks. Just go get it changed, you know. <laughs> just just do it. And he says, well, I don't want to. I said, no, I want you to because if you don't and something happens to the car, you're going to dog me and dog me to fix the car and I don't have the money to fix the car. And he goes, oh, so your real motive is... Well, it's kind of both, right? What I'm saying is the best, God judges the motives, but because the motives are so complicated for us even to understand, only God can really interpret the motive, right? 
So that's the best way to judge is the motive. The problem is, we don't know the motive. And that's why somebody that has abused me, maybe because they were abused. Or, so, you know, we don't know all the information. Only God does. That's why he's in a position to execute judgment, and I'm not. Okay? But the reality is, he's going to look at our motives and why and how we do things. He's going to take everything into consideration. The other thing he's going to look at is our words. How we judge others. Look, if you would, in uh, Romans chapter 2. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 2. In verse 12. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when the nations of the Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature the things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their consciences also bear witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. This will take place on a day when God will judge man's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Those who did not have or were not aware of the Ten Commandments, who were not aware of the Jews, still had the law written where? On their hearts. And the law on their hearts basically says, you don't even live up to your own standards. Guilty. So imagine for a moment if somebody took a recorder, put it around your neck when you were born, and just turned it on and recorded you throughout the whole life. You died, and God calls you up and says, I'm not going to judge you. Here, give me that recorder, and I'm going to play it for you, and I'm going to judge you based on how you, how you judge others, based on your own words. I'd be like, uh-oh. I can't. I can't even live up to my own standards. Exactly. The point being is that we cannot take our resume to God and say, God, here's why you should let me into heaven. Because of what I've done. You're what, the good things you've done only affect you guys. It doesn't affect Him. You can't break the curse by your good deeds. Oh. I can't handle a judgment day. Exactly. Here's the paradox. I need a judgment day. I can't handle a judgment day. That's why grace is what? Grace is God saying, I will take on the curse and I will break it for you. As my gift to you. Why? Because I love you. That's not what I was taught. I thought you hate me. No, I don't hate you. I love you. And I broke it for you. So that you could be with me. I can't handle a judgment day. I need a judgment day. But if we are in Christ, we've already had a judgment day. Right? We let Christ take the punishment for us. 
Look at Romans, same book. Romans chapter 8. In verse 1. Therefore, there is no now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, no rules can help you to achieve salvation because it's weakened by the, my own curse, the sinful nature of the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to to the Spirit. Because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and because I've accepted what God has done for me, Christ took the judgment for me. Wow. I need that. And so now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What does that mean to you? I'm saying that God so loved the world and he makes salvation offered to everybody, but not everyone's going to accept. He's offering it. Yes. Which is a different mindset because most people, if you ask them, is God really for you? Their answer is going to be what? No. I pray I don't get an answer. I do this and this bad thing happens. You know, on and on and on. They don't see, that's the last part of it, they don't see God because they're looking to the world to see God instead of looking to Christ. This is what I'm trying to do. So to you, though, what does it mean when it says, if you are in Christ, there is no more condemnation? There you go. I don't have to feel guilty if I don't do it all right. Colossians. God has taken the written code against us and nailed it to the cross. He's taken my guilty conscience and said it's okay. And now I just learn to live a life of thanksgiving. It's exactly right. We... But see, here's the difference, and I'm, I agree exactly what you're saying, but Paul and Christ would put it in a different way. See, under the old law, you would go to temple, right? You go to the temple, and you say, God, are we okay? Are you and I okay? Here's a sacrifice. Are, you, are we okay? God says, yeah, you're okay. We leave, and we mess up, and we go back. All right, God, are we Okay. Here's my, are we okay? And it wasn't just a Jewish temple. All religions are that way, right? All the pagan religions, all of our religions. God, are we what? Are we okay? In Christ, I never have to ask that question again. Because he answered it for me. God, are we okay? And the answer is what? I love you. We're okay. Because you're in me, we're okay. 
And we go, good, I can do whatever I want. And he goes, oh, no, 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 wait a minute. I now have a question for you. What does love require of you in this situation? What? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. What does love require of you in that relationship with your kids? What does love require of you in that relationship with your ex? What does love require of you in that relationship with your boss? What does love require of you? And you're like, whoa. Yeah. See, the question is no longer, I'm not under condemnation. The question is no longer, are we okay? God, I messed up, are we okay? God says, I love you. We're okay. That's the old covenant. The new covenant is, what was the new commandment? Love one another as I have loved you. It's a different question. And so now, in Christ, when there's no condemnation, I don't just do whatever I want. Well, I can go on sinning. No, no. The question is, what does love require of you? Love requires that you deal with your life and grow to maturity and and stop sinning or work on it and try. and, 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 And some grow faster than others because for some, there's deeper scars than others because I'm not going to judge because I don't know all the situation. I'm not in a position to judge. All I'm saying is, what does love require of me in this situation? That's different than the other question. You guys get that? Does that make sense? Because there's no condemnation. I need a judgment day. I need a day in which God's going to make everything right. And he promised <clears throat> there will be a judgment day. It's linear. It's not circular. I won't be dying and be born again and born again and born again. I'll just appear before the judgment day. But at the same time, personally, I can't handle a judgment day because I know I'm imperfect. I know my curse. I know my sins. I know my struggles. But if I'm in Christ... I've had my judgment day. God, we're okay, right? Yeah, we're okay. But I'm, you know I'm not perfect. I know you're not perfect. We're okay. But I have a question for you. What does love require of you as my child to deal with certain situations? Hold on. Good point. That's right. What did our Lord say? He said, if you're coming to church and you have an offense with somebody or somebody has an offense with you, don't worry about God. God says, we're okay. No, but God, I got it. No, we're okay. What is your relationship like with somebody that... Didn't he say, leave your gift at the altar? Why? Because we're okay. In Christ, we're okay. No matter what... There is no sin that can separate us except for the sin that says, I don't care anymore, I quit. There is no sin where I'm in and I'm out. Works of love. Because somebody can have works and it still not be of love. Somebody can have works. I'm doing this, God, to earn your acceptance. God says, you cannot earn my acceptance. It's impossible for you to earn my acceptance. Because it's not based on that. You're under a curse. Yeah. But love requires you try and you keep trying the best of your ability. You're not perfect. That's right. Because love requires you always be nice. 
Right? Love requires you always be nice. You know that because you're about ready to do that on Thanksgiving, aren't you? <laughs> it's not an option. Why do we, honestly, why do we come to church? We don't come to church because we have to. Otherwise, we're not right with God. We come because love requires us to love one another. How am I going to love? How am I going to love my brothers and sisters if I'm not around you? I can tell you that they are unlovable. But God so loved me, and I'm okay. And what's the biggest problem? And I, let's be honest. The biggest problem with people who struggle with their faith is the realization of how much God loves you. And if you knew it, if you believed it deeply, it changes everything. Does your outward situation change? Not really. I still struggle with aches and pains and the curse and everything else. But I want to be nice because God's nice to me. He loves me. Yeah, but you're in a difficult situation. Yeah, but most of it's my fault, but God's with me. He's helped. When, when Adam and Eve sinned, God clothed them and said, I will help you through this curse, but you will suffer. I can suffer as long as I know I'm loved, right? It's when I feel like I'm not loved that it's hard to suffer. Or you're suffering because I hate you. I'm punishing you. No. That's just a part of the curse. Because your good and badness has no effect on God whatsoever. It has an effect on me and my view of God and my ability to accept his love. Yes? I guess the puzzling part of verse 1 is there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The phrase in Christ to me is a difficult part because... And I think that's kind of what Bill is saying, is who is, and it, it, it's a personal thing, which means you can God, is are you in Christ? And I think that's where the guilt from the other Catholics, that's where that guilt comes from, that's where that always questioning, am I in Christ? What, am I doing what it takes to be in Christ? And that's, I really believe that's where we need to realize, because we're limited in our knowledge abilities, I don't judge, I call people to follow Jesus. And if they're following, so when you, I knew, I knew, I, when I was raised Catholic, I, I had a faith in God, but I also knew I needed fix some things, make things right. I'm still his creation. He loves me as his creation. I think Jesus says, look, let Christ be the judge. Our role is to call people to follow him. And the ultimate judgment will be whether they choose to follow or not. Right? That's the ultimate judgment. I know a lot of people who have been baptized aren't not following Jesus. I know a lot of people who have not been baptized who are following Jesus. I don't know. The point is, I'm not the judge, but I have been called. Love requires it that I call people to follow Christ. Why? Because God loves us and he's trying to break our curse and there's no other way to do it. Yeah, but you're a bad person. I know. We all are bad people. We're all sinners. Okay? Now we're all on the same playing field. Yes. 
Well, I think the hard thing to get is it isn't about what we do. It's about why do we do it. So if we have a cup of water and somebody's thirsty, and because we want to share God's love, we give them a cup of water, that's a good thing. Right, but I can't sit there like, well, why are you doing it? Right, exactly. That's the do not judge. Because the guy who wants to be elected potentate of the world could lay out banquets for people. You know, not just water. Hey, we're, you're getting, you know, you're getting caviar and the whole nine yards and giving it to poor people. And he could be either doing it for the love of God and the love of the people. Or he could be doing it so that they vote for him for potentate. Or both. Or both. They're going to be both in there. And that's why God says, don't play that game. That's right. So I can't judge right. the guy who gives the banquet. Nor can I judge the person who just gives the water. Here's how I know for me, when I'm missing the boat, and I'm more concerned about temple worship, God, are we okay, versus am I being loving? If I'm more concerned about attending Sunday morning than I am about my relationships around me, I know I've got to miss. Or, if I'm judgmental, saying, God, thank you for not making me like him. Right? And I read off my list of accomplishments. I'm glad I'm not like him or her. And Jesus said, that's. That's like the Pharisee praying, God, thank you for not making me like one of him. He said he didn't walk away right because he didn't get it. I might be loving. But what we can do is we can say that the guy that beat up the school children and stealing their lunches and eating them himself, we can say that's not, that's not how we need to treat others. That's not a judgment. That's reacting to what you that's an evaluation. That behavior is not right. We shouldn't do that. If you claim to be in Christ, you're not going to beat up the school children and steal their lunch. That's right. So we, that would be a sin, and you're going to quit doing that. You know, if you feel called to beat up school children, but here's the but here's the problem. Some people can't stop because they're stuck in the curse. But if I'm in Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection, He helps me to deal with those impulses. Where before I couldn't deal with them myself. But yet there are a lot of people who can deal with those impulses, live a perfect life. They just don't want God. But they're still under the curse. They're still saying, I don't need God. I'm independent. Yes. Well, I think the sad part, and when I hear this with the Lord, was asking the question, and I know a lot of people struggle with this. We all do at some point. But I think the sad part is that the people who are the Right. So suppose this rests onto that peace and know that God loves us. Excellent. And we're going to close out with this scripture, Colossians chapter 2, in verse 13, which is exactly the same point. Paul writes, When you were dead in your sins and in your uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins having canceled the written code with its regulation that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, 
triumphing them over the over the over them over the cross. God has taken my guilty conscience in Christ and said, "Don't listen to that voice. I've forgiven you. Don't listen to that. Don't listen to what people said. I have forgiven you. We're okay." What does love require of me in my relationships? Are you, anyone here going to love perfectly? We want to be mature lovers, right? We want to love in a mature way. That's the goal. It's not perfection. It's maturity. But it's different. In Christ, I never have to ask, are we okay? Because God says, we're fine. I love you. Yeah, but I feel like I'm your enemy. I know. I love my enemies. For God so loved what? The world. I love my enemies. What do you mean you love your enemies? Romans says when we were at God's enemies, he did what? He sent his son to die for us. How much more as his children? I feel like I'm his enemy. Okay, he still loves you. That's not the question. That's temple worship. That's not the question anymore. This is a new covenant. I don't ask if we're okay. In Christ, he showed me we're okay. I broke the curse for you. The question is, how are you loving what does love require of me in this situation? Works comes from love. Not from selfishness or God accept me because I, you owe me. Right? That's how it gets complicated. But it's really simple. What does love require of you in this situation? And go do it. God, I need your help. That's what I'm here for. We do the works because we love God. We don't do the works But the reality is, because I'm also at times immature, sometimes I'm doing it just to get God to like me. God says, that's okay. Right? To start, because we're all at different levels. We're all in different spots. We always fail. fail. Yeah, exactly. That's why God says, you don't know this person's situation. You don't know what's going on. You don't know everything. All you look at is the external. So, love one another. Isn't that what Jesus said? How will men know you're my disciples? Not by your good works, but by what? Your love for one another. Which is a production of good works. Works of love. Works of love. Right? Works of love. Because I want my kid... I I used to go in my house and go, All right, who's done something wrong? I need somebody to clean my garage. I need you to work. Let's go. We've all been under that curse, right? We're under a new covenant now. The question is not, God, are we okay? Because God says, in Christ, you're fine. In me, you're fine. Last point. Ooh, that scares me because I know some people that don't want to be nice to me. That's why Jesus said, the new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. Next week is our last class. We're going to look at the curse of not being able to see God, but we're also going to talk a little bit about the call of perseverance. And then we'll begin a new series next week. Let's bow for a prayer. 
Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, for your love and your mercy and your grace. Father, it's, it's incredible to realize that even as your enemy, even when I was doing 